beginning of the decline of Saul. Uh, Saul has uh, been anointed as king, and now he's made some mistakes as king, particularly being disobedient to Samuel. Uh, and be, by being disobedient to Samuel, he's been disobedient to God. And so Samuel has told him that the kingship has been removed from him, uh, that it will go to someone else, someone who is better. Uh, and Saul, even though the kingship has been removed from him, continues to be king for the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. He's not actually removed from the throne, even though um, he doesn't have God's blessing any longer. This week, uh, we get to meet the one who will be the new king. Uh, God tells Samuel to uh, stop weeping and grieving over Saul, and he sends him to Bethlehem, um, and he sends him to Jesse's house, where Saul might meet the son of Jesse that will be the king of Israel. Hear this word. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the ones whom I name to you, the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him, came to meet him trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he took Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul... And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, See now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command the servants who attend you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will feel better. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor. A warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, 
a skin of wine and a kid, and sent them by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. And Saul would be relieved and feel better, and the evil spirit would depart from him. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray once more. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My first summer that I spent working at a boys' camp, I spent running. Every morning, early in the morning, I got up and I ran before the boys woke up and um, I'd shower and then we'd, we'd wake the boys up and begin the day. And over the course of time, I got a lot healthier. Over the course of the summer, um, I was running a lot farther and feeling very fit. And then as I went into uh, my sophomore year of college, I continued to run. And I ran a half marathon and the guys at camp knew I was, uh, I was really working to be healthy. And then over Christmas, I got really sick for the first time and we had a retreat after Christmas. Um, and so the beginning of January, I go back to camp, and I've lost about 20 more pounds than I had when I was running. And all the counselors that I worked with all summer are saying, Chad, you look so healthy. You must have been working really hard. And every time I had to tell them, I'm not healthy, I'm really sick. And they were embarrassed because they said something they shouldn't have, and it was hard. They were well-meaning, and they knew that I had worked hard, but their eyes couldn't see that I was sick. They couldn't process that though I had been trying to be healthy, my body had not cooperated. I looked healthy, but I wasn't. Samuel in the story today is in this strange pet place of seeing and not seeing. Samuel is the one who for the first in a long time heard the voice of the Lord in Israel. The voice of the Lord was rare and it's been ever present to Samuel. He's known that he's to go to Jesse and to identify one of his sons, but even as Samuel hears well, his sight seems to be failing him. We can't really blame him that things would be confusing. He's committing treason against his king as he goes to anoint a new king and rejects the king that he already anointed. Even if he is following the voice of the Lord, he's taking his life into his own hands. It's a really stressful place to be. He knows he's doing what God has called him to do, but he also knows that Saul, the person in power around him, is not going to be happy about it. If Saul hears of it, he will kill me, he says. How can I go? And God tells him to go anyway, and he does. He takes a cow to sacrifice to the Lord. And the people in Bethlehem, when they see that Samuel has arrived, are terrified. They're terrified because they've heard what happened in Samuel 15. They heard that, Saul, that Samuel ordered Saul to kill all of the Amalekites and that when Saul didn't do it, Samuel finished the job with the king. They're worried that Samuel has come to do the same to them, to bring violence to them. They say, please tell us that you've come in peace. And Samuel says, I have come in peace. Let's go and sacrifice to the Lord together. He intentionally goes to Jesse's house because that's what the Lord has told him to do. And he says, Jesse, bring your sons. We're going to sanctify you. And one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And so Jesse brings his sons. 
And even though Samuel can't see clearly, he can hear. When he sees Eliab, he sees a guy that looks like a king. Just like Saul did before him, he's tall and he's handsome. And by all outer appearances, he should be the next king. And God says, no. Don't pay attention to his appearance. Don't look at his height or his build or how handsome he is. I don't look at their bodies, the Lord says. I look at their heart. Maybe Samuel made a strategic mistake with Saul. If you remember when he announced that Saul would be king, he said, you can tell that he's supposed to be king because he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And it turns out that that's not the most important thing. Being handsome and head and shoulders taller than the rest is less important than the presence of the Lord. So they, prayed by, they parade by these seven sons, Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah and four more. And each time the Lord says, I have rejected this one. He will not be king of Israel. And after Jesse has prayed by every son that he has, Samuel says, it's not any of these. Do you happen to have any more? And Jesse says, well, there's David, the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. We don't know why Jesse holds back David. Maybe he needs David. Somebody's got to watch the sheep after all. And maybe David is the best at it of all the boys. Maybe he holds everything together. Don't take that son, the one that makes life easy. Somebody's got to keep the sheep after all. And surely the one who's good at keeping the sheep is not the one who's supposed to be king. Maybe Jesse needs David. Or maybe he thinks David's not worthy. Maybe in long term and maybe in the short term. Maybe Jesse's judgment, maybe Jesse's eyes are as poor as Samuel's. David's younger, you know. And he's probably stinky from working out in the fields. And he's the youngest. Why would he be the king? We don't know why, but for whatever reason, Jesse doesn't even call David to the sacrifice. He leaves him out in the fields where he can keep the sheep. And when they finally bring David with a lot of haste, they won't even sit down until David gets there. Samuel identifies for David a call that David didn't even know that he had. Samuel recognizes in David what the Lord sees in David, even before David knows it himself. It's almost certain that some of the other brothers were sure that they were going to be king. That they would be the ones selected as they paraded in front of Samuel knowing what this was about. Can you imagine the disappointment as each of them walked by with their chests stuck out, sure that they would be king, and Samuel said again, no, the Lord has rejected this one. It's not any of those boys, it's David that gets chosen. And then God takes gifts that David has already developed and uses them to make David into a king. And even before David takes the throne, he's using them for the good of Israel. Even though that brings David into tension with King Saul. David, the one with whom the Spirit is resting, plays the lyre for the one whom the Spirit of the Lord has departed. The irony of all of this is that it turns out that David does, in fact, look like a king. God told Samuel not to pay attention to the exterior. But when he affirms that David is the king, we learn that he's handsome and ruddy and strong. As we get further into the story, we learn even that he's a good soldier. 
He's not just some young boy that people should pay no mind to. His size and strength might not be that of Saul, who's head and shoulders taller than everyone else, but David himself is no weakling. One of Saul's servants describes him as a warrior of valor, prudent in speech, a man of good presence who's also skillful with the lyre. David is handsome and strong. He looks like a king. Don't let your eyes deceive you in either way, this story tells us. It's not just a matter of opposites. It's not that you can look at someone who looks like he should be king and say, that's the king. When you learn that, the tendency is to say, well, who doesn't look like a king? How can I find him that way? And that doesn't work either. It's not just the one who definitely looks like a king or definitely doesn't look like a king. It's the one that the Lord has chosen. So Samuel anoints David. He pours his horn of oil down on him in the presence of David's brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord comes mightily upon David from that day forward. When Saul was anointed as king, he got a new heart. It doesn't seem that David needs a new heart, but that the Spirit of the Lord would abide with him. And unlike with Saul, the Spirit of the Lord is not going to depart from David. At the same time that the Spirit of the Lord descends upon David, it departs from Saul. In one verse we hear that the Spirit of the Lord is with David, and in the very next verse it departs from Saul. And an evil spirit torments him. And the irony of ironies is that it will be David's harp that soothes him. That David will become Saul's armor bearer and the Lord is with him. So we enter into this tension where David and Saul are in the same room, in the same place, in battle together over and over again. And yet Saul is still on the throne and David has been anointed as the true king of Israel. This will be the tension that shapes the rest of the book of Samuel. But today I want us to focus in on these steps that the Lord takes with David. The Lord sees him. The Lord knows his heart and judges his heart. And the Lord chooses him even if he wouldn't have been Samuel's first choice. Samuel pours the oil on him, but it is the Lord's spirit that anoints him and sends his spirit upon him forevermore. The Lord is with David. You see, we like Samuel, even if we don't want to recognize it, think that we can identify people by how they look. We do it all the time. When we meet them, we size them up. How tall are they? How much do they weigh? What are their proportions? Are they beautiful? Are they intelligent? What sort of clothing do they wear? What's their skin color? Do they have tattoos or piercings? What are their shoes like? In all kinds of ways, we assess their appearance and we think that we know who they are. When a new visitor comes into the church, we think that we can recognize if they're going to be givers or takers. We think that we know if they're our kind of people or not. If they could have potential to be our people. We think that we can tell just by looking if these are people that the Lord has chosen to follow after him and to seek after his heart. You see, it's not a mistake that the news of the Messiah, that when Jesus is born, the news of the Messiah is announced first in Bethlehem to shepherds. 
in the city of David. The shepherd from Bethlehem who was ignored and forgotten became king of all of Israel in David. And so when David's son, the heir to his throne, is born, the angels go and announce to the shepherds first that the king has arrived. You see, we might not recognize by looking what the Lord is up to, but if we will listen, if we will pay attention, if we will begin to see with the eyes of the Lord, new things might happen that are very good for us and for God's people. Now that the Lord's anointed has come in Jesus to make everyone a part of his priestly kingdom, that all of us might be a part of a royal, a kingly priesthood, the shepherds will not be left out. And from the shepherds it expands to the magi, the people from the east, the Gentiles that should have no part in the minds of Israel in the inheritance of the son of David. And yet they come and they worship the king who does not yet look like a king in the manger. And then there are the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. There's the woman at the well, the Samaritan. And there's the Syrophoenician woman who comes and as a Gentile asks Jesus for a miracle. And he says, I've come to the people of Israel. And she persists and he offers the healing that she came begging for. So the shepherds and the magi, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the sinners and even some of the Pharisees and the fishermen, all of them come. And all of them find in Jesus that they are judged not by their appearances, but by the Lord. By the Lord who sees their very heart. And all of them are needed for the work that Jesus has come to, begun, to begin, not because of their appearances, not because of how they look, or what they can project about their identity, how they can seem to have their lives together. No, none of these things are what matter. What matters is that the Lord's Spirit is with them, that the river of life, that the living water has come to abide in them such that they will never be thirsty again and such that they can share it with others. The good news for us today is that the Lord sees you. And the Lord sees and knows your heart. This is good news and it's terrifying news. It's terrifying because if the Lord knows everything, then he knows all of our sin. And if he knows everything and loves us anyway, this is wonderfully relieving. Not only does the Lord see you and know you, but the Lord in Christ has chosen you. He's chosen all of us if we will but respond to his grace he anoints us with his spirit and will abide with us forevermore. The greatest good news of Jesus, what we celebrate at Christmas, is that God has come to abide with us, that the Lord is with us even as it was with David, even through all of the trouble with Saul, with the madness that Saul lived in. David and the presence of the Lord through David was able to be an agent of peace. Jesus himself is Emmanuel, God with us, and he leaves the Spirit with us when he goes such that we might not be orphans, but that we too might abide in the Spirit of God. The Lord sees you. He knows your heart, and even though he knows your heart, he chooses you. He calls you and invites you, and when you respond, he equips you, and he remains with you. This is the good news for us today.
All of us, regardless of what we look like or how others might identify us, this is the good news. And this is the continuation of Hannah's prayer that I told you would shape the rest of the book. The shepherd, the youngest, the one that nobody expected to be king, comes to be in the court of Saul. And eventually he will be king himself. The lowest of the lows will be in the court of princes and will become a king himself. And the king that everyone thought would be the king will be brought low. This is the story that we will see play out through the rest of the book. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to know and believe and abide in the truth that you see us and that you know our hearts and that you call us, even when we ourselves don't recognize that calling at first, you call us and you equip us for the work that you have prepared for us. We ask that you would do that work now. And we ask as we experience the goodness of your presence and power that we would be inclined and called to share it with others. That we would not look with our own eyes that can be muddied by our own preconceptions or by our own stress or whatever else that we, but that we might see as you do the, with the eyes, others' hearts. That we might know what's happening inside and how you already love them that we might communicate that to them. We pray that you do this work in us and through us in the power of Jesus Christ who has been God with us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> As we respond to the word that we've heard today, uh, let's stand together and let's sing hymn number 98, To God Be the Glory. be the glory great things he hath done so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in praise the Lord praise the Lord earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the 